Good morning. Can you hear me? Am I on yet? I am. Good. Well, one other thing that I would like to draw your attention to, which this is actually perfect that she didn't mention this one, is we have a, you weren't supposed to, I'm going to mention it. Um, we have something called spring training coming up, which is if you're interested in teaching, either giving a sermon or giving um, a lesson in one of our classes at some point in the future, or leading a small group or leading a life group, anything like that, we have a training opportunity. So you can come to this and be trained and, and um, see if that's something that you would like to do. So that's going to be in May. Connie Blakelock is heading that up, so we'll have some more information on that in a couple of weeks. But just so that you're aware. Now, I'm going to be speaking this morning. I should probably go to that and get some training. Um, I'm a little nervous, and, and I'm also very excited that I get the privilege this morning to share God's Word with you. So would you pray with me, and then we'll get, uh, we'll get started. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the privilege and the honor that it is to be able to read your Word to study your word, and to be able to share it with the congregation. I pray this morning that as we look at it together, we would learn some things that we haven't known before, we'd find ways to apply things that maybe we already did know, and that in all of that we would grow closer to you, uh, that we'd be able to experience your, your love more fully and more uh, deeply, um, and that we'd be able to also reflect that back to you as well. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so some of you may know this. But today is Frank Predoletto's wedding day, which is really exciting. And I don't think he's here today. I see a bunch of the other groomsmen. Is Frank here? Okay, I don't think, I don't think he's here. All right, and so I'm really excited for him and with him. This is a really cool thing. And so this weekend has been a ton of fun um, for some of us to just be hanging out with Frank and his fiance, very soon-to-be wife, Bethany, and just to kind of be in this final time of singleness for both of them before they are married, and that's going to happen this afternoon. So the next time you see them, they will be married, and say, tell them congratulations, and pray for their, maybe today, pray for their wedding, and then also um, pray, for their, pray for their marriage together. Uh, but one of the things about this time of their relationship, leading up until this afternoon, right, so for them it's done, <laughs> but this, this time of dating and engagement it reminds me of when Crystal and I were dating and then engaged. And so for those of you out there who maybe are dating or are engaged or are married now and you can re reflect back on this, um, or if that's something you're looking at in the future, maybe this will relate to you. Uh, so one of the things that I remember not loving about the dating and engagement time is that we would have a great time together. We've had, we had this awesome day. Maybe we went on a hike or some journey or some exploration, and then maybe we'll get dinner or maybe we'll do a movie or something, and then the end of the night comes and everything's been great, and then, okay, good night. I, I'll go home. I'll go back to my house, and you stay here at your house, and it's just at the end of, no matter how great the date is, we, we, had, we had different places that we lived, right? And so the end of a perfect date was, okay, I'm going to leave now, and I'm going to go back to my place, and you stay here, and you stay, and the humor of this was that while we, were, while we were dating, Crystal lived in Albany and I lived in Clifton Park. I lived at Half Moon Heights. When we got engaged, we actually had her move uh, to Half Moon Heights as well, and she moved into a trailer where we would both move when we got married. And I was living with a couple of guys at the time, and it was great. Uh, and a mess. And <laughs> but I remember at the end of the night, so 
again, things are, things are going great and we're getting to know each other and we're spending really quality time together. And then the end of the night, and I, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna leave now and I'm gonna walk down the street and go to my house. And it's just this constant reminder that though we're growing closer to each other and our, our relationship is becoming stronger and stronger, there is still this separation, right? You go home at the end of the night, you live in two separate places, you are, your lives are, you want them to be one, but they are not fully one yet. Um, and I remember being uh, annoyed by that, right? And that's probably, a, that's probably putting it lightly, but I just remember being <laughs> annoyed by that. And so that's one of the beautiful things about marriage is you don't have to go home, right? And so we've, we've, we live in the same place now, which is awesome. <laughs> it's great, would recommend it. Um, and interestingly, I think that our relationship with God is not altogether different from that. So there are levels of you're growing closer, you're growing closer, but there are still levels of separation, and there are things that remind us of that separation, right? And so that's what we're going to look at today. Um, one of the things, one of the places where that separation shows up is that we don't necessarily live in the same place, right? Just like Crystal and I, we lived separate places. Well, we live here, and presumably God maybe does, doesn't live exactly here, right? And we'll talk more about that. Where does God live and where do we live? Um, so we have a lot to look at this morning, so let's take a look. Um, I want to start with this statement that God's desire has always been to, to dwell with people. God's desire from the beginning has always been to dwell with people. God doesn't desire separation. God doesn't desire brokenness. God des desires to dwell with people and to dwell with them in harmony. And so if we look at the Garden of Eden, which is how he originally intended for our relationship with God to work, there's no separation. So you'll see God walking in the garden with Adam and Eve, and you'll see, I would imagine that as they're walking, they're talking, and we have conversations recorded between him, and, and it's, it's so cool. And we have I think the kind of things that I desire in my relationship with God, I can see them in the Garden of Eden. Uh, we recognize that there was no shame, there was no fear, sin hadn't yet entered the world, and it was this perfect relationship between God and man. And interestingly, they dwelled in the same place, okay, at the beginning. So throughout the Bible, you have these two places or these two spaces. You have heaven and earth, okay, and in the beginning, it says, in the beginning, God created heaven and earth. Heaven is God's space. Throughout the Bible, poetically, that's how the Bible refers to where God dwells. It's heaven. And the earth is, that's our space. So there are these two separate places, but in, in the Garden of Eden, they were connected. They, were, they completely overlapped. And so what we see is God walking in the garden, physically close, right? He's there with Adam and Eve, and it's a beautiful relationship. We know that that doesn't last forever, but we also know that that is the way that it started. So God's desire has always been to dwell with people. Um, and so we'll see this this verse in Genesis 3, 8, it says, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And I just think that's such a cool picture to be able to walk with God, right? To be physically close to God. So if this is God's original intent was that his dwelling place and people's dwelling place would be one and he created this garden and there's not supposed to be separation, then why is it that we feel separation? Why is it that if you're like me, sometimes that isn't your reality? Sometimes you feel very separate from God. You might feel you pray 
and your prayer just seems to hit a ceiling and you're not even sure if God hears it or you're just very conscious of the fact that God is not physically near you and you would, you would love to have a face-to-face conversation with him, but that's not the case, right? So why is it that that is our reality if God's desire from the beginning has been to dwell with people? And I think, I think that a piece of this is actually the, the end of this verse that we just took a look at. So Genesis 3, 8 doesn't stop with God walking in the garden in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve. It says, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And we know why they did that, right? Because this is just after they have sinned and they have felt shame and there is this separation. And so now they, they hide themselves from God. And so we know that this perfect state, the garden ideal, doesn't last forever. Um, and it's broken. And it's broken by sin. And because of sin, there is separation in this relationship between people and God. And so you kind of see, just think poetically. So again, if heaven is where God dwells and earth is where people dwell and they once were one, there's this separation and they've moved apart and they're no longer completely overlapping. They will at times overlap, but not completely like they were before. So I think that the, the whole storyline of the rest of the Bible is how do we get back to that, right? If we had that perfect relationship with God where we dwell in harmony with God, how do we get back to that? And you can find that through the rest of Scripture. And that's what we're going to trace today. But there's an interesting theme that we're going to look at. This is what we'll highlight. And it's the theme, it's probably not what you're going to expect, but it's the theme of temple. Okay, and the reason I want to take a good look at temple is because in the Bible, God lives in heaven, people live on earth, and when those two things meet, that's called a temple. Okay, so a temple is a place where God dwells with people. And we might have an idea in our head of what a temple is, and we're going to look... Um, we'll take a good look at that. So what we'll do is we will trace the theme of temple throughout the whole Bible, and we'll look at four main chapters in redemptive history. And so I love charts, and so we're going to use a chart. So take a look at this. On the left, you'll have different chapters. You have chapter one is creation. Chapter two is this old covenant. We think of it as the Old Testament. Chapter three is the coming of Christ, and that's what we're celebrating this week, right? Today is Palm Sunday, and then we look forward to Good Friday, and then we look forward to the resurrection of Christ on Easter Sunday. So the coming of Christ. Chapter 4 is the new covenant. And that, interestingly, is actually where we are right now. Right? That's the chapter of redemptive history that we are currently in. It's the new covenant. So we'll look at these four chapters, and we'll try to trace the theme of temple through them. And I'm going to be asking you, basically, this is going to be like, where's Waldo? Except, where's the temple? I want to ask you, for each chapter, where's the temple? Because, again, what is the temple? The temple is the place where God dwells with the people. And presumably God's desire is to dwell with the people, so where is that happening in each chapter throughout redemptive history? Does that make sense? That, was, that is what we'll do. I heard one yes, we're going to move on. All right, so uh, let's start with an easy one. We actually won't begin with creation. We'll jump down to the Old Covenant. So let's take a look at this. Where is the temple? Just think about it. I'll give you a second to ponder. You don't have to shout it out, but where is the temple here? This, again, this is an easy one. The temple. Where's the temple? It's the temple, Jake. Okay, yeah. So where is the temple in the Old Testament? The temple is the temple. This is the place where God dwells with people on earth. And that's an amazing thing. And, and you may have also thought of the tabernacle. That's basically a portable temple before they had settled in the promised land and they were going through the wilderness and they had like a tent and they would pack it up. But when they would get to where they were going, God's presence was physically, it was, God's presence was there. God's spirit was there with them. And so we see that God was with the people. Even though sin has separated us, God has this desire to dwell among the people 
and he does that in the temple. Some interesting features about the temple, though, is it was designed to remind them of the garden. Sometimes we think of it as just a big building, just maybe a big concrete building or something and is what we would probably picture. But the temple in the Bible was designed with, it had decorations of fruit trees and flowers, and it had images of angels like we see in the garden. It had gold and tons of jewels all over it. It was designed to make you think of the original garden ideal because they're both the presence of God among people. So that was the point of the decorations of the temple. But something, in, something else about the temple we have to focus on is that there was this curtain, right? So while the temple is the place that God dwells among the people, he doesn't dwell among the people in the same exact way that he did when he was walking with the people in the garden. There was an element of separation, again, because this is after sin. And so sin has separated us. God wants to dwell among the people, but there's an element, and it's a symbolic element. It's this curtain. And so in the temple there was a curtain that separated the part where God dwelled from the part where the people could go. Which is, we don't like that, but it's just, it's a, it's a symbol of that separation, right? And God builds symbolism into these things all the time in the Bible. And there's also, it's not only is it, um, we're still separated, but God's presence in this chapter was very limited, right? So think of it. If you, if you happened to not live near Jerusalem, during the time of the temple, then you were very, very far from God's presence. So would you say that, is that the ideal? That's great that God dwells among the people in the temple. Awesome. But is that the ideal? I think we would say, no, it's pieces of it. And it's actually, um, there are purposeful parts in it that God has put in there to remind us of the ideal, but it is not the ideal. There's still separation and there's, limited, there's a limited um, experience of God's presence. So now that we've got that one, that was the easy one, right? That was the low-hanging fruit. And now we'll move up to creation, okay? So this one's a little trickier. Where does God dwell with people in the first chapter? So think of Genesis 1 and 2. The garden. So the garden is the temple. According to the definition of the temple is the place where God dwells with people, the garden is the temple, okay? And it was a perfect temple because there was no separation. There was no limitation. They were physically with God they could have a conversation with him. They're walking with him, and it was a beautiful thing. So let's jump to the next one. So we've already done the Old Covenant. Let's go to the coming of Christ. We have a couple of Scripture passages that I want to look at, and then I want to ask you the same question. When Christ came to earth, where was the temple then? And you may have a couple answers to this, and several of them could be correct. So let's, let's see how this goes. John 1.14. John 1.14 says this. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Okay, so just think about what this is saying. The word who is Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. So this is Jesus living among people. So any ideas where we're going here? What, what would be the temple in the time of Christ? And you might think, you, yeah, there's a, right, there's a couple of correct answers. One is, well, the temple's still there. The building that we looked at earlier, that's still here. In fact, in this next passage we're about to look at, he made this statement when he was standing right next to the building of the temple in Jerusalem. So let's look at this. John 2, 19. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. So if we pause right there, and he's standing right outside the temple, they're probably thinking of the building. I would have thought of the building. But he had something else in mind. The Jews said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days. Clearly, they're thinking of the building. 
but he was speaking about the temple of his body. When, therefore, he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had spoken this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. So where's the temple now? It is the building, but yeah, exactly, it's also Jesus. So Jesus is God dwelling among people, which makes him a temple. And I'm not making it say this. It's, he was speaking about the temple of his body. This is, this is how scripture teaches us about the theme of temple. This is God dwelling among people. And you remember, we talked about the curtain earlier. So the curtain in the physical temple building was this, this symbol of separation between God and the people. So Jesus, at the end of his life, this thing that he has just predicted, his death and then resurrection three days later, that does happen, right? And when Jesus dies, something happens to that curtain. Again, that curtain being the separation between God and people. So look in Mark 15, verse 37. It says this, And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And I think what's going on here, it doesn't give us a whole lot of commentary. That's it. And then it moves on. But I think what's going on here is something happened when Jesus died that took away, that did away with the problem of sin, that did away with that separation that was between God and people. And also we find that Jesus, so there are two temples. This is the one point in history where there are kind of two temples, is you have the temple building and then you also have Jesus, the temple. And, or two different types of temples, I guess you could say. And Jesus is the greater temple. Jesus is God walking among people. But again, as cool as that is, that's a little bit limited. And sometimes we don't like to think of this, that anything about Jesus could be limited. But if you weren't living in that particular part of the world in that particular time, you missed out, right? If you lived thousands of miles away, you may have not even known at that time that Jesus was there, that God was walking among people again, right? So it was limited and it was accomplishing incredible things. It was doing away with the separation between us and God. But this isn't still the final plan of what God is doing um, in the theme of his relationship with people. So let's move on to the last one. Let's move on to the new covenant. And let's ask the same question here. So if in the, if in the first chapter, the temple was the garden, and then it became a physical building, and then Jesus talks about himself as the temple, in the new covenant, which is where we are today, where is the temple? Because Jesus has died, and he's, okay, yeah, some of you guys know your theology. <laughs> so, so Jesus has died and he's gone, and the, the temple building was destroyed just years after Jesus died. Both of those are gone, so where's the temple? And, and you're right, it's us. The temple is our body. And so if we look in 1 Corinthians 6.19, it says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? So what makes us a temple is the fact that God's spirit dwells in us. And if a temple is the place where God dwells with people, then your body is a temple because that's where God is dwelling with people. And this next one actually makes it interesting too. It's not just my body individually is a temple and yours is a temple. And right? So we have all these little temples. It's also, there's a collective aspect to it. So look in Ephesians 2 verse 18. We'll start in verse 19, actually. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. 
in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And the reason I want to look at this instead of just the I'm a temple, you're a temple, she's a... The reason I want to look at this is because we have to remember that all of us collectively form a temple. And it's not just all of us people, but actually Jesus is the cornerstone. It's built on the apostles, right? It's built on the foundation of the apostles. This isn't just an individualistic thing. There's something about us as a people experiencing God's spirit together. That is what makes God's presence tangible in the world. So this is great, right? It's awesome that God has always wanted to dwell with people. I'm encouraged by that. Um, it's incredible to see, to trace this through history, to trace it through redemptive history, and to see that now it's our, the temple is our body, that God's spirit dwells in us. That's great. But if you're anything like me, why, you might ask this question, why then do I feel distant from God? Or why are there times when I'm not even sure he's there at all? If God's spirit is in me, why do I still feel distant? Why do I pray and my prayers hit the ceiling? Why, if I'm looking for God, I can't find him? Why can't we just sit down and have a conversation? Why can't we walk with each other? I don't know about you, but I long, there, there are times when I really wish that that was our reality, and it's not. We have God's spirit, but that type of thing that we saw in the Garden of Eden is not our reality. And so my question is, so what do we do? Right? This is where we are right now, so why are there times that we feel so far from God? So what do we do? And I think there are a couple things that we can look at that will help to encourage us and that will help to motivate us and help to grow our relationship with God and allow us to experience more closeness with Him. One of the things that we really need to take a good look at is we've looked at four chapters and we've stopped at the chapter that we're currently in as if that's the final chapter, but it's not the final chapter. So this new covenant that we are in right now is not the final chapter. The final chapter is in the final chapters of the Bible in Revelation, and it's called the new creation, where God creates the new heaven and the new earth, and it uses almost the exact same language as at the beginning of the Bible when God created heaven and earth. So God creates the new heaven and the new earth. So again, God's dwelling place and the dwelling place of people are one at the end of the chapter, or at the end of the Bible. And so let's take a look in Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4, and this is a look at what, what our final relationship, what the final chapter of our relationship with God is going to look like. And when I read this, this is the stuff that I want. This is the stuff I think I long for, and this is why I can look at our current reality and say, it's not that, because we're not there yet, and I think it's okay to acknowledge that. So here we are, Revelation 21, starting in verse 1. This is John talking about what he has seen in the future. It's a vision that God allowed him to have of the future. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty great. And that is actually drastically different from what we experience right now. And I think it's okay to say that. 
and it's okay to recognize that. And so I do want to ask the same question, though. Where is the temple in all of this? Where is the temple in the new creation? This is probably the trickiest of all of them. The rest of them, you guys were very rapid fire. Where is the temple here? The new Jerusalem, yes, yep. Okay, question mark, yeah. All right, so where is the temple? Take a look at Revelation 21, verse 22. This is really interesting how this works out. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. There's no need for a temple, just like in the garden. There wasn't a temple there, but the concept of God dwelling with people was there. In the end, you don't need a building. You don't need a temple because God is once again walking with people. Sin has been done away with. Separation is gone. Heaven and earth are back to overlapping. They're completely one. And God dwells with the people. And so when I look at my current situation, right, and I'd say it's amazing that I have the Holy Spirit in me. It's, it, that, that's such an honor that God would choose to dwell in and with us. That is something that we should treasure and something that we should be thankful for. And we should also long for what we know is coming next. And that is this day when we will physically be with God. We'll be walking with him. We will be able to talk with him. And he will be near us even more and in a more physical and tangible sense than he is right now. Um, just two last things as we wrap up. In light of all of that, Right? So in light of what we have to look forward to, but also in light of the fact that we're not there yet, so we're still in the new covenant time, how do we, knowing what came before and knowing what comes after, how do we live in chapter 4 correctly? How do we do that in a way that is fulfilling, in a way that you can experience and feel God's relationship with you? How do we do that? And I think there are a couple of things that we need to recognize in order to make that a meaningful thing. Uh, one is that we need to understand that the curtain that separates us from God has, in fact, been torn. Some of us think that we don't have access to God at all. Some of us think that he's so distant or doesn't care or that sin still blocks us from God in a sense that we can't approach him, that we can't talk to him at all. And we're wrong because the curtain has been torn. And look at what that means. So if we go in Hebrews 10, verse 19... It's, it's incredibly significant that the curtain has been torn. So look at this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since, so Jesus died opening the curtain. That's what's going on here. Verse 21, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That is right now. So it's not all future. That is actually right now. The, the separation between us and God is done away with, and that was done away with at the cross, and that's what's so significant about celebrating Jesus' death coming up this Friday and his resurrection coming up next Sunday. We currently have access to God, and we need to live out of that reality. The next thing is sometimes we don't want that. Sometimes I think we would prefer for that curtain to still be in place. We would prefer for some separation because separation is safe, right? And when that separation is go gone, well, God knows us fully, and what if he doesn't love us? And I think some of us are living out of that. If God truly knew me, if God fully knew me, then he wouldn't love me. And I think Jesus coming and living among people 
and experiencing the worst of humanity, right? Our worst sins, he experienced them, and then dying for us and saying, Father, forgive them. I think that, doesn't that tell us something about that fear that we have, that he does know us, and yet he has still chosen to love us and forgive us anyway? And so we need to get rid of the idea that if God truly knew me, then he wouldn't love me. The things I want to leave us with are you are known, you are loved, you are forgiven, God desires to be near you, God's spirit is in you, and we can look forward to the day when we will walk with God. So this Easter season, remember those things. Remember that God's desire has always been to dwell with people and that God wants, to dwell, God wants to be with you. God's spirit is in you. Live out of that reality as we also look forward to the ultimate reality when we walk with God. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you teach us, that we can understand more about you and about us and about our relationship with you. I do pray that we would be encouraged by the fact that you have always desired to dwell with people. I pray that we would recognize that you currently live with us in the form of your spirit, that your spirit is with us. I pray that we would be able to live confidently and approach you confidently and that our relationship with you would be a good one. I pray also in uh, anticipation of that last chapter when we actually walk with you and I long for that. I look forward to that. So thank you. We love you. Amen.